listening to Connection Church's podcast. Good morning, Connection Church. My name is Joey. I'm one of the pastors here at Connection, and we are so delighted that you are here today. Hope that you had a good fourth. Not really sure what the hangover is like after the fourth, but we're all in it, right? Just kind of loud noises and all that kind of stuff, and sitting in traffic. If you went to Mill Creek, there were two or three other people out there with us last night, and uh, you might have been some of them, and I'm going to share a little about that experience a little bit later in the sermon, um, because it's appropriate and uh, has to do with driving. I always have to have a driving story when I preach. We're glad you're here. We're continuing our good, good, goodbye, good, 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 goodbye, a really good goodbye series and uh, that we started a few weeks ago, and about what John was writing and Jesus' words to his disciples about bringing and sending the Spirit after him. We're going to continue in that today. Um, Brandon and his family have uh, spent the last week on vacation and uh, got back yesterday, and he had an opportunity to be in Vidalia this morning and uh, over there with our satellite campus where Billy's preaching and a great opportunity for, for he and his family to be over there for the first time since we even started that, that campus. So um, during a service, we're we delighted for them to be back tomorrow, and uh, Brandon loves to come back from vacation and for everybody to come to the church at 8 o'clock on Monday morning just to greet him. So if y'all could do that tomorrow, he would love for you to come and, and just visit with him tomorrow as he's going through his mail. But um, if you'll turn with me to John chapter 15 to start, we're going to start with the last two verses of chapter 15 and then continue on into chapter 16. Uh, today. So John 15, beginning with verse 26, I'm going to read those last two verses, and then we're going to start with verse 7 of chapter 16. John 15, beginning with verse 26. When the advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. And you also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. Now chapter 16, verse 7. But very truly, I tell you, it is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. About sin, because people do not believe in me. About righteousness, because I am going to the Father, where you can see me no longer. And about judgment, because the prince of this this world now stands condemned. I have much more to say to you, more than you can, bear, can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. Let's pray together. God, we're thankful for the day. We're thankful for your spirit that you sent to us after your son, Jesus Christ, died and was raised on the third day. You sent him to dwell among us, to lead us and direct us. We pray, God, that everything that we do today, as you've already shown up in in our nine o'clock service through our worship with our band and and just the amazing quality of what they do and how your spirit works through them to usher us into a time of worship. We thank you for that. God, we ask that your spirit continue to plunder around our hearts. Work in us today, God. In your son's name we pray, amen. So this Holy Spirit thing is, uh, can, can be confusing. It can be a little mystical at times. And, and I kind of think about 
the Holy Spirit is kind of like LinkedIn. Anybody part of LinkedIn? It's the kind of thing online, you know, everybody wants to be a part of it, but nobody really knows what to do with it, right? I mean, that's, that's kind of like the Holy Spirit. I have no idea. People, let me connect with you. On, I mean, I don't even know if that's biblical. I don't know what that means to connect. What do you mean connect with me? Are you going to meet me somewhere? Um, I, I don't really know what to do with it. And that's kind of like the Holy Spirit at times. We, we know we're supposed to have it, and we know that we believe in Christ. We do have it, but what are we really supposed to do with it? And sometimes it's like one of those things that's right in front of us, that's right here with us, but it's so obvious we don't know really what to do. And it kind of reminds me of a, an experience I had. I was with one of the, with the first group that went to Honduras back in June, and, and my son and I were able to go together, and, and there was 12 of us uh, men had a men's trip, and we laid block, and we did what men do, right? And had a great time. It was an awesome experience. And um, we did the whole, you know, changing of flights and flew out of Savannah, and you got to go through Atlanta, you know, to get to heaven, you have to go through Atlanta if you fly Delta. So everything goes through Atlanta. So we get to Atlanta and change planes. And we had this experience because Atlanta is a direct flight to Honduras. So everybody on the plane obviously was going to Honduras. They don't drop many people off when it's a direct flight. But there's something that bothers me about mission trips. And I don't mean to offend if you've ever done this before, but I don't like mission teams that wear matching shirts when they travel, especially to third world countries that basically says, I'm American and I have cash. Please rob me now. And all of my friends who have matched shirts. So Honduras is a, is a very heavily mission oriented place right now because it's inexpensive to fly there. It's inexpensive to live there and, and stay there. So there, are, there were multiple mission teams that we, we could tell because they had matching shirts that were going. And it advertised everything they were doing, where they were staying, where they came from, you know, their alarm numbers at their, all, their houses, all that stuff was on their shirts. And so we get on the plane and, and this group's coming in. They're, they're a lot older than our group. It was a medical mission, obviously, and it had their church's name. And they were fun to kind of watch and so I get on the plane and uh, my, my son swapped seats with somebody so, um, because it was going to be by himself so he could sit with a friend and I was sitting by myself. So this, this older lady comes down with her matching shirt on and she's rolling her carry-on and, and I could tell it was going to be difficult for her to get it in the overhead compartment. I didn't say anything. She was just kind of struggling. So I reached down and I put it up there for her and she looked up at me, very kind of turned her head sideways and she said, Gracias. I said, what? And I didn't say anything back. Obviously, I have darker skin, and she judged me as Honduran right off the bat. <laughs> Same thing that happens in the Bahamas. I'm Bahamian when I go to the Bahamas. I'm Honduran now when I go to Honduras. So it's a three-hour flight. I didn't say a word. She ends up sitting next to me, all right? So it's, I'm at the window, this lady's here, and then a, her friend with a matching shirt is sitting next to her. So I'm sitting there, and I'm thinking, I'm going to have some fun with this. So not saying anything, pull my iPad out, and watch a movie. So I'm putting my earbuds in, and I see her look at her friend, and they're kind of, you know, awkwardly looking at me. And I'm just sitting there, like clueless, and she points to me, and she goes, Spanish only. I was like, this is going to be fun. So I sit there for three hours, don't say a word, okay? And plane lands, we get up, 
She gets out, we're all waiting, you know, everybody jumps up as soon as the, the plane stops so we can all stand there a little bit longer while the first class rich people get off. And we're standing there, she goes to leave, and I said, y'all have a good mission trip. <laughs> She's like, oh, okay. And then we flew back with them. That made it even better. And, uh, and shared a little bit about, obviously, she didn't bring it up. And uh, I spoke the four Spanish words I knew to her on the way back. And, um, but it's kind of funny because something that was right there in front of her was obvious, but she was so focused on what her intentions were. She was so focused on her own agenda, literally looking at her agenda that I was reading in English the whole time, right beside her that she didn't think I could read, but I was just reading along. And, uh, but she, it was right there in front of her, but she didn't even know it. And that's kind of what the Holy Spirit is to us sometimes. It's right there for our taking. It's right there for us to use. It's right there to lead God and direct us, but we just don't know what to do with it. Well, the setting of this is in John 16 and a couple of verses prior to verse 7 and for uh, the end of uh, verse 4 through verse 6. It says, I did not tell you this from the beginning because I was with you, but now I'm going to him who sent me. None of you asks me, where are you going? Rather, you are filled with grief because I have said these things. See, while Jesus was with them, he could protect them. He could literally take on and deflect any of the persecution that was coming to the disciples um, and to himself. He took that on. I mean, he was the son of God. Obviously, he could handle those things. But now he's telling them that things would be different. They would be a little bit different. He would no longer be with them, and they would be the direct targets of this persecution. So it was a little bit scary, to say the least. It reminded me of, of kind of when I was in high school, I, I worked at a restaurant. And a lot of you that may be my age, a little bit older, um, may remember a little restaurant Right when you, the last bridge before crossing over to St. Simon's Island was the restaurant called Emmeline and Hesse. Anybody remember it? All right, there's a few people, old like me, that do remember it. I'll, I'll talk to the three of you now. Um, it was a great, great restaurant. And in high school, I worked there and I was hired as a food runner, okay? You actually just carried the food out to the tables after the waiters and waitresses took the orders. And for this whole week, when I first got the job, I was learning how to be a food runner, how to put the uh, food on the tray in order of, of who ordered it and then knowing who the first one went to, because I wasn't supposed to talk. I think food runners were supposed to be quiet and just do your job. But go through all this training, and we finally get to the last day of training, and my boss looks at me, and he goes, all right, you're on your own. Good luck. You know, and I was like 111 pounds wet, and this trays were like 10, 10 things of shrimp and oysters and all this stuff all over. And I was scared to death. Well, the good thing about what Jesus was saying to his disciples was not quite like this, but I can only imagine that the disciples sort of felt this way. We've been following you now for three years and now suddenly you're saying you're going away. Good luck. Take what I've taught you, but you're on your own. I had I got to feel like there was some of that feeling until he got into the explanation about the Holy Spirit. And even then, not really sure what this sometimes called the paraclete, sometimes called the Holy Spirit, all kind of names, the Spirit of God. What does this mean? So they were scared. They were sad. They were confused and just did not understand about this departure. 
But Jesus is assuring them that the Holy Spirit will be coming to equip them, compensating for his physical absence and giving them every resource they need to do their jobs. So the disciples were in this momentary mindset, kind of this the here and now blinders on, we're scared to death, but Jesus was talking about the big picture. So let's look back at the text and we're gonna go through here and I'm gonna tell you some roles of the spirit today and try my best and I try to do this at nine o'clock to, to make this as succinct as possible. The spirit is not a simple thing, but we're gonna to try to simplify some attributes of the spirit today. So let's look back there. It starts out with, but very truly I tell you. And many applications or interpretations of this scripture say truly, truly. In the Greek, that is a double negative. And a double negative always had something to do with addressing doubt. There was doubt somewhere. So, so let's deal with what the doubt is. And that's what Jesus is telling them. It's good. It, it is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. Now, the advocate is a legal term, even directed towards a, like a prosecuting attorney. And I thought about you know, what good is having legal representation if we don't listen to him. And Jesus is saying, I'm sending you this advocate. Not only is he going to be with you, you need to listen to him. You need to listen to what the spirit tells you and do what he says. When he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment about sin because people do not believe in me about righteousness because I am going to the father where you can no longer see me and about judgment because the prince of this world now stands condemned. So there are going to be Four roles of the Spirit I want to tell you about today. Four individual roles of the Spirit. Number one is to testify. Role of the Spirit is to testify. Number two is to convict. The Spirit convicts. The third one is to guide. And the fourth one is to glorify. So those are going to be the four roles of the Spirit we're going to talk about today. Now, beginning with the first one is to testify. Now, the last two verses of the book of, uh, of John chapter 15, we just read. I want to read those again to, to kind of bring about what this testify thing is about. When the advocate comes, whom will I send to you from the Father? The spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. And you also must testify for you have been with me from the beginning. So this advocate, this spirit that God was sending was no substitute teacher, he was not just some fill-in for Jesus after he left. The Holy Spirit marks the end of the following of Christ, the end of the following of Jesus, and the beginning of the doing of the disciples. And this transition is, is so marvelous to really think about what is actually happening here because it affords us the opportunity to have a relationship with Christ and be able to do what he's asked us to do. Because up until that point, the disciples literally were following Jesus around, physically following him from beach to beach, from miracle to miracle, from table to table, from home to home, from feeding the 5,000. They literally got up in the morning and followed Jesus wherever he went. So you picture Jesus out in front of them at all times, looking for opportunities and the disciples following behind. Now, all of a sudden, Jesus is saying, I am going to leave you and you are going to take this place of mine because you will be filled with the Holy Spirit. How confusing was that? It had to be just really, really strange. 
But what an awesome, awesome task that they were given. And we are given today in the same way. If we believe in Christ, the Holy Spirit comes and dwells in us. And we are given the powers that Jesus was given to discern, to bring about healing, to bring about peace, to spread his word, do all the things that they were being asked to do. Jesus was um, no longer going to be there physically for them to depend on. Today, we even use the term follower of Christ. And that's still an accurate accurate statement. We are followers of Christ, but we're actually following what the Holy Spirit tells us because the physical presence of Jesus is no longer with us. But he sent his spirit to dwell among us. They were going to be given the power and the means to do what Jesus said asked them to do because of the spirit. In Matthew chapter 10, he, he, Jesus really tells them of when this is gonna be necessary. He says in 10, 19 through 20, but when they arrest you, when they arrest you, do not worry about what to say or how to say it. At that time, you will be given what to say, for it will not be you speaking, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. So not if you get arrested, but when you get arrested. And he says the same thing to us. When we are persecuted, when those things come about to us because of our faith, because if you haven't realized it, the gospel message is is not all that pleasant. In the light of all the things that are going on in our world, it is offensive to preach the gospel message. Once something, once a century ago that was somewhat accepted among a lot of people is now offensive because if you preach the gospel, you're going against tolerating the things of the world. And it's not easy. It's not easy to stand in the face of that. So Jesus is saying, when they arrest you, when they persecute you, when they make fun of you, when they cast you out, when they ignore you, I will tell you what to say because of my spirit who will be in you. It's a great promise. It's a great thing that we have that with us today. The second one, the second role of the Spirit is to convict. Now, he talks about three areas that the Spirit convicts, and that is sin, righteousness, and judgment. Sin, righteousness, and judgment. The first one being sin. You know, the only way to not be guilty of sin is to believe in Christ. That's the only way not to be guilty of sin is to believe in Christ. We don't even... No, we need Christ, so why believe in something we don't need? And that's how the majority of people walk around who don't know Christ because they don't need Christ. Why do I need Christ? What is the, the point? And the reason I'm saying that is because the original language of this text, it means convict and convince. And what Jesus was telling me, he said, what the Spirit will do is not only convict people of their sin, but it will convince them for the need of Jesus Christ in order to be forgiven for their sin. Why do I need something I don't know I need? But that's what the Spirit actually does. The original Greek means expose, refute, convince, or convict. And the Holy Spirit's very presence is proof to the world that Jesus was right and they were wrong. So his Spirit comes to convict these people for crucifying him. And he's saying all this before he's ever crucified. It's a really awesome picture of what Jesus' prediction is. I'm gonna be crucified 
and the Spirit's going to come and convict them of their sin for what they've done to me. The world's willingness to reject, condemn, and even execute Jesus is now exposed as a sin. And when we refuse to believe in him, we do what they did. We do exactly what they did. We reject, we condemn, and we execute Jesus all over again. Each time we say, I don't believe in that. We crucify him once again. The Holy Spirit convicts people of their sin and convinces them of the need for Christ. If people actually believed in Jesus, they would believe his statements about their guilt and their shame and their need for him and would turn to him. But their unbelief, our unbelief for those of us who do not know Christ only brings about condemnation, not only brings about condemnation, but it also brings about the ignorance of the need for him. So you see, it comes to convict and convince for that need. And it's no different today. There's so many other things out there in the world. There's so many other opportunities and there's so many ideas and we see them all on Facebook, right? I mean, just a unbelievable way to go. Wikipedia and Facebook, you can be smarter than any individual in the world. I don't know if any of you have ever had a life-changing experience after reading something on Facebook, but I never have. The only life-changing experience I have is close. Kill it. I'm tired of reading this. Just can't do it. I, I don't need And some of your opinions are on there, and I'm sorry. I don't like them. I don't like reading them. I don't have time for it. But a lot of us put more stock in what we read on Facebook than what we read in the flipping word of God. And that is wrong. It is unbiblical. And we get so worked up over different issues and different things. And if we turn to the word of God, it's not always crystal clear, but if we delve into it, it is there. The answers are there. And what God wants us to know is there if we will read it and try to understand it and, and seek help in getting it. The next way that, that, uh, that we're convicted is through our righteousness. Our righteousness. We're, we no longer have a righteous model of Jesus because he is no longer physically with us. His return to the Father is the demonstration of righteousness, righteousness and even the vindication of God himself. The Holy Spirit is here to convict us of our own righteousness. righteousness. The Spirit shows up our empty righteousness. It exposes darkness with light. The Spirit is here to convict us. If we don't have the Spirit, then we set our own bar. If we don't know who Christ is and we're not paying attention to what the Spirit is doing in our lives, we become the example. We set our own standards. And, and, and people, just a great example, the movie rating system is not our standard as Christians. They don't set what we see. Oh, this should be okay. It's, I'm older than 13, so it should be all right. That's not our example. Our example is given through the life-giving blood of Jesus and written down in his word. That's not just to, to jump out on, on movies. Another example I thought of is the way we drive. It's not based on the signs that we see, but what's in our heart. Which takes me to last night. All right? So I, I felt like I had to pray and repent as I was driving home. So we get this great area. We, we park over there across from Mill Creek, right down behind the, the Mexican restaurant to support a local church. 
We get in there and we try to save a little bit of money. It's probably a sin, but we had 11 people in an eight-passenger car. And uh, I know I could probably get fined for saying that. On, on, now it's going to be on the internets and everybody's going to know about it. So anyway, we crowd everybody in there. So after the wonderful firework display, we end up having to come out of this parking lot. And as you know, everybody else was too. So we need to go out and just turn right, and they have two lanes running out of there, and I'm not telling you anything you don't know unless you weren't there. You were in a hole somewhere last night and missed out on it, but we're all trying to turn out at the same time. So it's, you know, we're sitting there, and somebody who loves Jesus comes by and lets somebody out, and then about 10 or 12 pagans don't let anybody out, and they keep going. Then another one, Jesus lover, come lets us one out, just one. So we're just sitting there waiting and waiting and waiting. There's about four cars ahead of me waiting to get on to 24. And this lady out of a parking place next to us backs up and goes past the entire line on the left side to the front. So she's now blocking the people coming on 24 to get ahead of all of us. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Things were going on inside of me that I don't even like to talk about. Trying to remain calm, but... With a, with a hand on the handle. I was thinking about getting out and walking up there and knocking on her window and like snatching her out of the vehicle. And just, I don't know what I would have done, but it would have made the point and she wouldn't have gone anywhere because she's standing outside of her car. But I, I'm just sitting there and I'm thinking, now, if I stay close enough to this vehicle and everybody else stays tight, we can box her out, not let her in, right? That's what's going through my mind. We're going, she's going to stay there for the rest of her life. She's never going to get out. But... Oh, but no, no, she just sticks her nose right on in there and eases out. But I'm thinking about, man, if I can just get up there and block her. But then immediately, but goes through my mind, I said, I guarantee you, if I were to do that and then, you know, wave to her or give her that look when I go by, she will be sitting on the front row at one of our services tomorrow. Guarantee it, no doubt about it. And she may be in here and I hope you get saved today. But anyway... <laughs> I just couldn't, she passed everybody and just, just left, just left. And there were things that going on me I didn't like, which made me think of another one because I, I wanted this opportunity to share with you because I think we need to straighten out a lot of our driving problems in the world. For those of you who ride in the left lane on a four lane road, why do you do that? Slower traffic, keep right. Only, thank, thank you. Got those of you who don't do, who ride in the left lane, get over, get over in the right lane so I can go around you on this side. Because I'm the type that I'm going to stay in the left lane till you get over. I'm going to go around you until I just get totally flabbergasted. And if I pass you on the right, what's going through my mind is I want to look over there and send a message to you. All right. But what happens every single time is when I get up next to whoever that is, it's not somebody I want to send a message to. I don't know who this person is supposed to look like I've got in my mind that I could take. You know, it's either the little old lady who has no idea that nobody else is even on the road or that she's even driving at the time, or it's some giant, you know, that I'm thinking, he might track me down at my house, you know? <laughs> so I don't know who that is. But when it comes to the spirit working in our lives, those are the types of things that every day ins and outs of doing things where the spirit convicts us and our own righteousness comes up and we think, well, I'm better than that. I can, I can do what I want to do. And that's what Jesus is saying that the spirit comes to convict us of those things. 
to convict us of our own righteousness that we think that we're better or we, are, we have this pretentiousness about us. The third area that it convicts us is our judgment. All who are sin will be judged, but this is not about the burning in hell type of judgment that Jesus is talking about. This is about the judgment of Satan when Jesus died on the cross. Remember, this is the big picture that Jesus is talking to his disciples about. Jesus told us not to judge based on appearance, but rightly judge someone. To rightly judge someone. The world's judgment is profoundly wrong and morally perverse. And if all that Jesus has said and all that Jesus has done dies on the cross with him, then we are just as much of liars as he was. If it all just dies on the cross. So this judgment, this conviction of judgment that Jesus is talking about is saying that we are going to be doubly stupid or just idiots for following someone who did great things and then died on a cross. That was the end of the story. But Jesus knew something else. He knew not only was he going to suffer a gruesome death, but he was going to be raised on the third day. That's the rest of the story. That's the awesome part of the message where he says, no, it will not end with the cross. It will not end right here. And you will not be called liars because I'm going to be raised on the third day. I'm going to go back with my father in heaven and I'm going to send the spirit to dwell among you. What an awesome message. What an awesome story. When he talks, tells us all that it all culminates here. It doesn't end with the cross. Now, the third role of the spirit is to guide, to guide. I have much more to say to you, more than you can bear now. And we don't really know if, if, if Jesus is talking to his disciples because of their either spiritual ignorance, um, their blindness, or their emotional instability. Not really sure what Jesus is referring to. I, I, I like to kind of think of, the, of him in front of his disciples. And it's kind of like some of you look at me on Sunday mornings or you're kind of nodding off or, or chasing last night in your mind or whatever it may be. And I'm thinking, oh, I might need to change a little bit, do, you know, stomp or something to get your attention. It's almost like Jesus looked at them and their eyes were kind of glazing. And he's like, whoa, I don't think you're going to be able to handle everything I'm going to say to you. So let me just tell you what you can, what you can hold on to. So we really don't know what it is, but it was obvious they weren't prepared to hear everything yet. In verse 13, he says, but when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears and he will tell you what is yet to come. Remember earlier in the book of John in chapter 14, verse six, Jesus says and identifies himself as the way, help me out, the truth and the life, the way, the truth and the life. And, and think about this is so cool. He's explaining that the Holy Spirit will guide them concerning that way. The Holy Spirit's going to come. I told you I am the way, the truth, and the life. Now the Holy Spirit is going to teach you and show you the way, the way you're supposed to live each day. Now the word here should be translated completely. The Holy Spirit will completely lead you in truth. The Holy Spirit does not partially lead us. Never does it partially lead us. The spirit is whole. It is all knowing. It is the third part of the Trinity, God, the son and the Holy Spirit. It has all the information that God has. It is God dwelling in the spirit. So it gives us all the information that we need in every situation that we live in. The Holy Spirit does not lead us by decisions made by our government. 
the entertainment industry, or some twisted cultural racism. The truth today is found in the word of God and only the word of God. And it, it brings me to just having to say something about this, this marriage thing. And I see all these things that I don't even like to read about it, of all this upheaval about marriage. And let me just tell you something. We screwed up marriage a long time ago. This is not the first time we've had some awakening about marriage. We messed up marriage when we began to tolerate things like pornography. We began to tolerate things like adultery. We began to tolerate and even think, oh my gosh, it, all I, can just, I can just click here, click here, click here, sign this, take it to the Superior Court, and I'm divorced. It's too easy to get divorced. So to say that we messed up the covenant of marriage now is just a lie. We did it a long time ago by tolerating certain things. And the only reason that most of us get in an uproar about um, any type of, of thing like gay marriage, only time, the reason we get upset about that mostly is because it's not our sin. I don't have to deal with that. I don't have to worry about that. It's, it's, not, it's not about me. So I can protest it because it has nothing to do with me. But if we gave the same tenacity, if we got fired up about adultery and pornography and, and all the things that kill marriage today, being too busy, coaching too many teams, not coming home, working too much, how good would our marriages be with that? So let's not just throw stones unless we're going to check on our own houses much of the time. The fourth and final area that the Spirit works, and the fourth role is to glorify. This one's awesome, to glorify. The duty of the Holy Spirit is to glorify Jesus Christ, period. Not himself, not anybody else. Even the Holy Spirit himself wants to bring glory to Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit also does not glorify personalities. It doesn't glorify preachers, the Virgin Mary, a church, church ordinances like baptism or communion. It doesn't glorify any of those things. It glorifies Jesus Christ and only Jesus Christ. And if a person or group is glorifying someone or something other than Christ himself, it is not biblical, period. It's not biblical. The Spirit illuminates our sin, our righteousness in Christ and judgment. Everything points to Jesus Christ. And that's exactly what he offers today. That feeling that you have in services, that feeling that you might have if you're reading the Word of God, for those of you who are in this room and with this many people, I know that there are people in here who have not accepted Jesus Christ, who've not said, you know what, I need a relationship with Jesus Christ. That feeling that you get where you're kind of nervous and your heart starts racing, that's the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit convicting and convincing you that you need Him. It's not me. It's not Brandon, it's not Cody, it's not Billy or anybody who's up here, Sean, whoever preaches, it's not any of us who's convicting you of sin. That would be called condemnation. The Spirit of God convicts us and convinces us that, he, that we need him. That's the awesome thing about it. We're all gonna sin. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, but the grace of God comes in behind that and says, but I'll forgive you. 
and I will save you for all of eternity. And maybe that's what you need to do today. Maybe that's where you sit right here, right now. And if you've ever been here, you know how we do this. It's pretty simple. And it's not to point you out. It's not to embarrass you, but it's to celebrate with you. We just simply say, if you want to have a beginning, a relationship with Jesus Christ right here, right now today, we just ask you to stand right where you are so we can celebrate with you and pray with you and lead you in that direction. So if anyone here today wants to do that, make that decision today, make that, that begin that journey with Jesus Christ, you want to do that today, just stand right where you are right now. Just stand up. We'll celebrate with you. We'll raise the roof off this place with clapping. Anybody at all? Heart's beating hard. I can hear it. All right? That's fantastic. Because the next thing we're going to do is communion. And God calls us and set this tradition in place in the New Testament that it's a celebration of our knowledge of Jesus Christ, of our relationship with Jesus Christ, that we take part in communion when we have a relationship with Christ to celebrate what he's done, what he did on the cross. That's what we celebrate in communion. That's what it's all about. That's simply put, our celebration of what Jesus did on the cross. It doesn't have any magic to it, nothing special about the, the bread and the cup that we use, but it's about what's in your heart. So what we're gonna do is we do it by a process called intinction. Intinction means that we're gonna have you break off the bread, you dip it in the cup, and then you eat the bread. So as our volunteers come down and get in their places, I didn't want you to kind of freak out seeing one cup and going, oh my gosh, I have to drink after somebody. We don't do it that way. We just all dip our fingers in the same cup. Really powerful moment. And what I want you to do in this process, instead of just getting in line and coming forward, I want you to think about something. As you come forward and as you're waiting in line, I want you to, every time you put weight on your left leg, to pray for someone who you know needs the saving grace of Christ in your life. It may be a neighbor, it may be a colleague, maybe a family member, anyone. I want you to lift them up to God every time you put weight on your left foot. When you put weight on your right foot, I want you to pray for something you know God is convicting you about today. Maybe it's uh, you know, the four roles of the Spirit and you answered no to one of those. You know, I don't really, I'm not really testifying. God's really convicting me of something. I'm not being guided by the Spirit or I'm not bringing glory to the Spirit. Any of those. Every time you step on your right foot, I want you to pray about that for God to move in your life and to show you those things and to make some decisions to make that better and to do right in that way. So left foot praying for someone else, right foot praying for yourself as God leads you. And what we're gonna do is um, we're gonna stand and I'm gonna ask for you to exit your section to your left, come up to your nearest station and then go back into the opposite ends of your, of your aisles. So let's stand together and we're gonna pray. God, we pray a special blessing over this time of communion as we uh, seek you, as we call upon you, God. 
when you stood with your disciples and you said, eat this bread for it is my body broken for you. Take and eat it in remembrance of me. And then you took the cup and you blessed it. And you said, this is my blood poured out for you. God, we thank you for, for breaking your son's body. We thank you, God, for pouring out his blood for our sins, for our stupidity. Something we don't deserve at all, but you did that for us. God, I pray that each of us, as we do this today, we think about that. And we're thankful for that. God, we're most thankful not for what you did on the cross by itself, but what you did three days later when you smacked Satan right in the teeth and said, my son is going to live and you beat death and you showed us that we can beat death by following you. God, if there's, there's still some here who want to make that decision, I pray that they will continue to do that and wrestle over it. I pray, God, they won't sleep tonight until they make that decision to follow you. We thank you, God, and we love you. In your son's name we pray, amen.